You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. If people think the country is on the wrong track and are upset, it's usually really bad news for the party in power. The Democrats have a very difficult challenge on their hands when it comes to the midterm. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. I think there's a lot of pent-up demand for electing a woman, and I think 2022 could be the year of the woman. I see the demand that we have today as the baseline for the future. It means our economy is roaring back. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. From World Headquarters in New York, where the city's all dolled up for the holidays. Happy last day of Hanukkah, by the way. The leaders on Capitol Hill are well aware of the season because they are running out of time. Senator Chuck Schumer sending a letter to his caucus today to reiterate his hope, his goal, to pass the president's social spending plan, the Build Back Better plan, before Christmas even as chances of that happening appear to be fading by the day. But who knows? We have other, more pressing issues to manage. Defense spending, debt ceiling, the rest. None of this has changed since we last spoke on Friday. And we're going to start with the signature panel in studio today. What a treat. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis in studio with their expectations for the rest of the year. And they're with us for the hour. We'll talk as well with Bloomberg New York Bureau Chief Shelley Banjo a bit later about the city's new vaccine mandate. Have you heard about this? It's for private business. Could it be a precedent for other big cities if it becomes reality? And later, our conversation with New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu on vaccine mandates and his decision to not run for Senate. It's all coming up on the fastest hour in politics. And thanks for joining us. Thanks for starting your week with us. I have to say, this is this is an event for us. We don't do it too often. If you're, well, we don't ever do it. That's why it's an event. We even took a selfie. Me, Rick, Jeannie, same room. It all happened. So welcome to Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew, not in Washington today, but New York. And we have an eye on the Capitol, in fact, with the headline on the terminal, Schumer aims to push Biden economic bill through before holiday. Uh, how's that possible? Aren't they only scheduled to go through this week? I mean, I realize the schedule can change. But yes, the majority leader is out with a letter. I feel like it's usually the Pelosi letters we talk about here. To all Senate Democrats, quote, now that the House has passed the reconciliation bill, our goal in the Senate is to pass the legislation before Christmas and get it to the president's desk, unquote. Rick and Jeannie, great to see you. Jeannie, I got to talk to you a little early on balance of power. So I'll start with you, Rick. This letter, uh... Does, does this give us the latest sign that things are not going to happen? We've talked about defense spending, the debt limit. There are plans for neither. But Chuck Schumer is writing about the Build Back Better plan. 
Yeah, I mean, you really wonder what's the master plan that's inside of all this, right? Yes. You know, bringing in the China bill into the NDAA that originally was excluded, uh -huh. um, you know, uh, trying to find uh, a time between now and Christmas to get a vote in a Senate caucus that he himself doesn't have the votes for, yes. uh, as if he's going to get some Republicans to cross over in the aisle and vote with him. Mm -hmm. uh, honestly, uh, and why does Chuck Schumer keep getting fingered by secret memos? <laughs> the last one we saw was the one with uh, Joe Manchin, and where he agreed to, it, right? to yeah. you know, certain things in the, uh, in the Build Back Better plan that, of course, aren't going to come to fruition if, if Schumer has his way now. But if Manchin does... That's exactly the bill you're going to vote on. So, look, I, I think that the idea that they're going to get something done on Build Back Better before Christmas is crazy. Okay. You know, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema have already said it's a 2022 job. Yes. And I think if you believe one thing in the United States Senate is those two have been always right. Jeannie, on Friday, we had the chair of the Joint Economic Committee with us on the program. Don Beyer said 2022. Yeah, that's what it's looking like. So it's not like it's controversial here as more members seem to come to grips with this idea. So should we read the letter differently from Chuck Schumer? Is this his way of saying, yeah, look, I have to put this in a letter, but we're actually doing the real work right now on the other more pressing issues, including avoiding a default. You know, when I first heard about this, I thought, is he saying 2023 Christmas? No, oh, he's saying, you know, yeah. 2022, no, 2021. Um, you know, we're in New York, so let's just start with the SALT deduction, yeah, right? Yeah. And that's just one of the many areas in which there's widespread agreement. And Rick mentioned Joe Manchin, Kristen Cinema, but let's look at Bernie Sanders. There's so many people who have issues with this bill. And in the wake of the abortion case in the Supreme Court, I keep coming back to the Hyde Amendment with Joe, which Joe Manchin has That's said right. he's very clearly going to stick to his guns on. So I'm not sure if, you know, Chuck Schumer, you know, is just being incredibly optimistic at this point. But the idea I that think they the word would, Rick used was crazy. Gina. Crazy. Yes. I'm going to be a little kinder to the senior senator <laughs> from New all York. Optimists are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> he, you know, it, it, God bless him if he thinks he can do this. But I don't know anybody I've talked to who thinks that they could iron out wow. these differences in the next, what are we looking at, you know, week, but if, right. even if they extend it two yes. weeks on top of the debt ceiling and on top of the NDAA. And of course, the debt ceiling is something they really have to address before the Build Back Better. And let's not forget, this is all in the context of rising inflation, real concern about whether people can have a Christmas and finish their Hanukkah and get their gifts and all these things. And that has made many senators feel a bit concerned about spending this much money. So, you know, he puts this out there, but if he makes this deadline, I think many of us would be stunned. Rick, take us inside Kirsten Cinema's head for a moment. We talk so much about Joe Manchin. We refer back to the memo, which has proven to be a roadmap in a way for how this whole thing has unfolded or in some cases not over the past couple of months. But when you're talking with your sources on Capitol Hill and Rick gets to Rick talks to people, they, they don't talk to us journalists the same way. And I mean that for real. What kind of changes is she hoping will be made before she has the appetite to do this? First of all, us journalists, some journalists were in reference to YouTube, not to yeah, me. I was talking about myself. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> the, uh, look, I think that it, it's, it's a lot simpler than everybody's making it out to be. Um, uh, Joe Manchin's opposed to certain things and made himself very clear on that. And, yep. and his problem is really more on the substance side. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and Kirsten Sinema has been very clear about the pay-fors, right? She's not going to go for any of the taxes that roll back Trump tax cuts. Um, uh, those Trump tax cuts were in place 
when the uh, economy of our country was roaring into COVID. And why in the world, in her opinion, would you ever roll those tax cuts back when they proved to be effective at boosting our economy at a hmm. time when everyone's talking about how do we boost our economy? Right. What I think both of them would agree to is that is that inflation is not transitory, and it will certainly be around for the midterm elections one year from now. And so what, would we, what do we think the impact of Build Back Better is going to be on inflation? Some things are not inflationary in, in that spending package. Mm-hmm. Some things may be. And I think Democrats all included are going to be looking at the number one issue in 2022 is inflation. And if they do anything, they need to find ways of beating that back. And so some of that can be done through Build Back Better. Yeah. But to walk the plank on Build Back Better when it will be – way down the issues list in 2022, and inflation will be number one by Mm -hmm. far and away. Well, that says a lot, Jeannie, then. Does that mean that the talking points are going to go out to Democrats, like if they haven't already, on inflation as as the issue in 22? If you want to save your seat in the midterms, you need to start talking about this now, or have Democrats already lost that issue? I think they do need to talk about it. I think those talking points have gone out. And one thing that surprised me about this letter was that Democrats have had a lot of success so far this year. They have spent a lot of money. They have passed a lot of bills. If and when, and I'm going to assume they do it, they get the NDAA passed, they get the debt ceiling lifted, why not go out and celebrate those victories as you march yourself into the 2020 midterm election? Why if Chuck, would Chuck Schumer put out that there's another thing on the agenda that they want to accomplish? If they accomplish it, great. It's like when they tell you the train is going to you know, come in a half hour, it comes in 15 minutes, and you're thrilled. Right. Why not do it that way? Had that's the schedule, th- Chuck. That's right. But, but so this surprised me a bit because they do have things to run on in the midterm. They should celebrate what they've done so far and get home and start talking about that. And, of course, to your and Rick's point, what they're going to be doing about inflation, which the president has been talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, want to get to the debt limit here. I do also want to hear from Press Secretary Jen Psaki if we have her remarks from this, because she was speaking to the broad agenda here in the briefing today, asked about how do you get all this done? I certainly understand why you're asking. We have many conversations and briefings between now and Christmas. Um, So uh, we're just encouraged by Leader Schumer's effort to move this forward, all of the work happening behind the scenes among staffers, among members, uh, to move this forward and get it done. The schedule going to change, Rick? You've been uh, in the Senate when, when word came down that you're not going home quite when you thought you were. Yeah, I mean, nothing is motivating for compromise like a Christmas hat. Absolutely. (laughs) And so I I think actually uh, it may be more what Jeannie was talking about. I think there's a chance they can actually wrap these really important things up that they need to do before they leave. And and by the way, I do not include Build Back Better. I mean, these members haven't even seen the bill. How do they slice the debt ceiling then? So the debt ceiling, I think there's an elegant fix to this that that McConnell did uh, 11 years ago, where he put in uh, language into a bill that basically said the president can uh, raise the debt limit and Congress, uh, if we don't object, it goes into effect. And, and that satisfied everybody at the time. We yeah. had one of these impasses similar to this. Yeah. Who's going to do this? And, and the NDAA is the perfect bill to do that in. It's got to move. It's a high priority. Other than a few rabble-rousers, it's got universal support. It'll have 95 votes on sure. final passage. And, and, and so I wouldn't be surprised to see McConnell return to a fix that he did 11 years ago, have a deal with Schumer where that goes – there are going to be a number of things that get treated into the, 
the NDAA, and that could be one of them, and, and, and it would sail through. And then, Jeannie, uh, Democrats are off the hook. You don't have to do two weeks of business with reconciliation, and as we discussed earlier, you don't have to put a number or a, or a duration on it, right? To your point, Rick, that would simply let the president do what he's going to do. See, we need Rick over there to resolve all, lot, all of these issues, and it would be an elegant solution. I think a big question is, does Kevin McCarthy go along with it? He's getting a lot of push from his members not to give the Democrats any win, even when Mitch McConnell has pushed him to allow this to go through. He's been noncommittal in the last few days. So it's going to be interesting to see how Kevin McCarthy responds because he desperately wants to be speaker. That's where the NDAA has a certain amount of power, amount of leverage, though, right? I dare you to vote against the military, Rick Davis. Yeah, won't happen. It'll pass. Everybody will, like, shrug their shoulder and say, why didn't we do this a long time ago? Wow. Rick and Jeannie with us in person. It's kind of a party, and it's only Monday. On the fastest hour in politics, Shelly Banjo is going to come in next. Talk to us about this new proposed vaccine mandate on private business in the city of New York. It's coming up next. We'll check traffic and markets, too. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. You know, you need your vaccine card to get into a restaurant. I'm reminded that every time I come here because we don't do it that way in Washington. Welcome to Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. Today in New York, we're actually going to be here for the balance of the week. So thanks for being with us as we as we learn that there's more coming. New York City to impose vaccine mandate on businesses as cases rise. Reading on the terminal that Mayor Bill de Blasio said the city will become the nation's first to impose this mandate. We actually heard from Bill de Blasio today. Here he is. This is how we put health and safety first by ensuring that there is a vaccine mandate that reaches everyone universally in the private sector. A lot of folks in the private sector have said to me they believe in vaccination, but they're not quite sure how they can do it themselves. Well, we're going to do it. Okay, workers starting December 27th would be impacted by this. The mayor calling it a preemptive strike. And we're joined now by in-studio Shelley Banjo. New York Bureau Chief joining us here. Uh, Rick and Jeannie are still with us. They're going to hang out with us for the hour. Shelly, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming in. It's a pretty big deal here. I guess the, the, the big question I would start with is, uh, will it outlive Mayor Bill de Blasio? 
It's a good question, and we don't have all the details yet because he came out with this mandate this morning, and when we asked Eric Adams for his uh, comments on it, the mayor-elect uh, spokes spokesman said, we're going to evaluate when we get into office. So that's not really a ringing endorsement no. <laughs> of, uh, of one of these things, and, and Adams has come up pretty strongly for vaccine mandates in the past about things like for worker workers. Work, yeah, exactly, yeah. for public workers. And so the question is, well, why not? Uh, come out also in support of this. This mandate, as you mentioned, will go into effect December 27th. That's just days away from de Blasio stepping down mm. from the mayoralty because of term limits. So it could be one of the last gasps of the de Blasio uh, administration. Is it true that the business community learned about this as we all did when he spoke. There was there were no discussions going on with local industry. So de Blasio was asked about this at the presser press conference today and said, yes, I did consult with people. But then large groups of uh, folks came out and said, no, nobody told us about this, including Kathy Wilde, who runs a very influential group of banks and other business uh, businesses in the city, saying nobody ever talked to us or consulted with us about it. And, you know, the business community doesn't like surprises. No. And they don't like uncertainty. And so what do you get with this mandate? A surprise coupled with the uncertainty uh, of, do I have to enforce this in a few days? Wasn't that also you know, the knock, at least one of them, that Eric Adams said, you know, you didn't sit down with the unions. You didn't give people a heads up on the public works mandate. So this would be kind of a trend. Sure. I mean, to de Blasio's credit, uh, you know, none, no vaccine mandate should ever be a surprise anymore at this point mm -hmm. but to his detriment like why not give people a heads up that this is coming especially since you know you know that people are going to have questions and whatnot and even in today's announcement he didn't have any other details if you're going to come out with something so big <laughs> right. and so influential then why not come out with the details why announce it now let people you know why not come out with you know, all the specifics. I'd love to let uh, Rick and Jeannie weigh in a little bit here. I guess the, the big question that I have is if this does become real, if this is gonna, gonna go into the new year, if Eric Adams follows up on this, will it become precedent for other cities, Jeannie? That, that, that's something New York has a way of doing is influencing the rest of the country. That's right, and I think that's one of the things that Bill de Blasio, and Shelley knows this better than I do, would hope to do, which would be to be a leader in this regard. But I wanted to ask you about another leader in New York, which is our governor, Kathy Hochul. Has she come out and said anything about this mandate, particularly as she's looking to run for governor, and she's got some stringent competition on the Democratic side for that? Sure. So Hochul came out today and said that she supports a local decision. So she didn't come out against it. She just said, I'm going to support. And that's kind of her her line. She did that uh, earlier this month with Erie uh, County uh, county officials uh, upstate talking about, you know, you can reinstitute a mask mandate because that's all local rule. And I want you guys, you know, to make your own decisions. But there is the political subtext here. You have de Blasio, who is probably going to run for governor against Kathy Hochul, who is definitely going to run for governor and you know this match of who's tougher on COVID is certainly going to going to come out for de blasio and people downstate in new york city being tough on COVID is a good thing for people upstate which is hokel's base it might not necessarily be viewed the same way we're going to talk coming up with uh, with the governor of new hampshire chris sununu uh, in part about uh, vaccine mandates because i've been kind of compelled by his approach he's actually not uh, pro or or con when it comes to mandates. He just doesn't think it should be the purview of the government that a business should be allowed to do either. Go ahead, mandate your employees, your customers, whatever you do, you're the business or don't do one at all. But that's not the the uh, the decision of government here. 
What do you make of that, Rick, when we're talking about the sort of privacy and legal issues behind all of this? Could, could this stick? Yeah, not only could it stick, but I mean, it just points out one of these real, really important things we have to take away from this entire pandemic, which is we've got to shore up our state and federal and local laws related to big public hmm. health problems like this. I mean, this is going to be a reoccurring theme in the rest of our lifetime and generations to come. Uh, this caught us all by surprise. Nobody had any clue what the rights of the individual, uh, the employees, either in government or in the private sector, what rights the government had to institute these kinds of uh, mandates. And these are all toolkits to fighting a public health pandemic. And so I think that you're going to see a lot more debate at the state and local level about what kind of rules and regulations they need to put in place so they're not reinventing the wheel yeah. every time something like this happens. Shelley, just last word, you're waiting then for, I guess, the end of December to get a final word on this? Well, it'll go into effect December 27th. It'll probably have some legal action yeah. against it, as every other thing that de Blasio has done Check has back had. in the new year. Exactly. Shelley Banjo, great to see you. Thanks for being with us. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1 to New York, Bloomberg 1130 to Boston. Bloomberg 1061 to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960 to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. It was a big surprise in Washington when Governor Chris Sununu announced last week from New Hampshire that he was not running for Senate. It's considered a shoe-in. They were practically designing his office for him in the Capitol, but not running. No, he's going to run for re-election instead in the Granite State. We're going to connect now with the governor of New Hampshire, Chris Sununu, as I mentioned, making news by running for re-election. His current job not running for Senate, as many expected. Interviewed him a bit earlier from Concord, New Hampshire, with Bloomberg government's Emily Wilkins and started by asking Governor Sununu what was behind his decision and whether he thought Washington was broken. I think you have a lot of personalities down there are, that are more focused on their personalities and the partisanship of it, as opposed to, look, we got to get stuff done, right? 330 million Americans are expecting and waiting for us to move the ball forward and get stuff done. And when that doesn't happen, or it happens, you know, once a month, basically, <laughs> there's frustration. And, and I sure. just, uh, that I would be incredibly frustrated. And not only would I be frustrated, but they'd probably ultimately get pretty frustrated with me because I, I could be pretty demanding about accountability and results as, I mean, people are electing and hiring me to do a job. And so I always feel that obligation to, to show the results, show the accountability, show where it's working, sure. show where it's not working. Sometimes sure. it doesn't work, right? That's okay. Sure. Well, Governor, you know, there is still a Senate race coming up in 2022 in New Hampshire. Who would you like to see from the Republican Party take on Democratic Senator Maggie Hassan? Almost anybody can beat Senator Hassan at this point in New Hampshire. Uh, her poll numbers are that bad. She, uh, she doesn't appear in this state. And so, unfortunately, uh, we just haven't had that right kind of representation. And people in New Hampshire are very engaged politically, as you know, with our first of the nation primary, our local politics, our town meetings. It all really can coalesces to a very engaged electorate. And therefore, uh, if you're not producing results, uh, they just want somebody new. Uh, and often that is more important than party. So I think there's a lot of Republicans here that could take on. 
front. And that's another part of my equation. It wasn't just, oh, only Chris Sununu can beat uh, Senator Hassan. Not at all. I think there's three or four decent Republicans. I think you're going to have a very robust primary here. And at the end of the day, I think you're going to see a Republican sitting in that seat in about a year. Well, I have to ask you about COVID, uh, Governor. I know that New Hampshire is one of four states in the country seeing the highest increases, the biggest rises in cases right now. It's something that you referred to as a very severe winter surge. And this is starting to bring back some bad memories. We're not even talking Omicron right now. This is Delta, right? This is old-fashioned COVID, if we can call it that by now. I wonder how concerned you are about the winter and whether you have the hospital beds to deal with this. Uh, we've been concerned for months. So uh, I've been predicting the winter surge for the last six months. Um, back in September, when our numbers were really low, I took a whole team to Kentucky, for example. We flew to Kentucky, met with hospitals, met with the governor specifically about how they were dealing with the surge. Back in the summer, you saw surges in Florida, Mississippi, Kentucky, all across the country. New England was a bit uh, held off from that. Um, we had great weather. Folks were outside. You know, we had a really strong summer here yeah. across New England. But again, given the seasonality of this pandemic, I always knew that it was going to come. So the good news is we've prepared. We've looked at uh, flexing our internal surge capacities within hospitals, how we can fast track licensing to make sure no one is waiting to become a nurse, that they're getting streamlined right into the system so they can work on those floors. Making sure a big piece of this is that individuals who might be in an emergency room that are waiting for a bed in a long-term care center or a rehab center, they're being moved out as quickly as possible. And, and that's one of the biggest backlogs, if you will, that causes hospitals across this country to jam up. Folks are waiting to go to the, their, another place. So mm -hmm. we fast track that process here in New Hampshire. And then we have a lot of money going out. And we're, we're hiring strike teams. So as it's 75 and sunny in Florida, you know, people's immune systems are stronger. Their hospitals aren't nearly as overwhelmed, kind of like we were in the summer. So we're hiring strike teams from other parts of the country where COVID isn't rearing its ugly head as, as strong as we knew it was going to be here, bringing some of those individuals in to help supplant uh, long-term care facilities or hospitals. So we've got a lot going on. And then obviously the big one is testing, uh, making sure that folks aren't going to emergency rooms or, you know, uh, clinics for their tests. They can do them right in their own homes and creating that home opportunity for testing is really important. And we're very proud of some of the programs we've put into place, kind of leading the country with, you know, a million home tests hitting the market over the next week. <clears throat> well, Governor, the big debate here down in Washington, D.C. is over these vaccine mandates that President Biden has tried to implement. Do you think that there is a role at all for mandates as uh, states like yours try to combat COVID-19 and the new Omicron variant? Not in terms of a government mandate. You know, when the government starts mandating certain healthcare procedures, uh, that crosses a line. It really does. It does have to be the individual responsibility. Now, we want everyone to get vaccinated. I'm as pro-vaccine as they come. I'm out there every day doing commercials and encouraging it. But at the end of the day, that is a very personal family decision. And we want everyone to make the right decision, which is to get vaccinated, whether it's your kids, whether it's your coworkers, whatever it might be. So the government forcing that, um, it's, it's not the right answer. And even the Biden administration, administration for months and months and months. The first half of the year was very clear. The government was not going to mandate. The government was not going to mandate. And then uh, in about a week, they did a 180 degree turn. Uh, I think it was very, very much a political decision. And they said, well, we're just going to mandate everything. But again, if I may, it's a great example of Washington being caught in a bubble without any real connection about what's happening on the ground, what's happening with businesses and families yeah. and the impacts, the, uh, the negative aspects of the impact 
impacts of mandating a vaccine like that. Just to so put a finer look, point a on it, Governor, model, just to make sure yeah. I understand you, because you seem to have a pretty conservative approach to this. It's not that you oppose mandates. You just want private enterprise to decide whether they will impose them or not, as opposed to the government. Do I understand you right? Yeah, because private enterprise has always had that power. I ran a business with 800 employees. If I wanted to impose a mandate or a vaccine or a hospital wants to impose a vaccine, that's been the law of the land for and, and their ability to do that forever. So, you know, one thing I, I see some other governors saying, well, we're going to make sure businesses can't mandate the vaccine. Well, you, that's an infringement on those businesses' rights, right? Let's take Fred's flower shop. Small family business. He's a flower shop. His kids work for him. He's got four or five employees. He's immunocompromised. He says, look, I, I want I need everyone here to be vaccinated because to keep my business, my, my family business going yep. to the, for the government to come in on the other side and say, sorry, you can't do that. That's an infringement on their rights as well. So my, my stance on vaccines is very consistent. You can't the government shouldn't be forcing a vaccine mandate and they shouldn't be also forcing businesses not to have that freedom and flexibility that they've always had taking away that right. So um, I, I believe the best thing government can do when it comes to business is get out of the way, mm -hmm. let business do what they're going to do and empower them with the rights to do that. Governor Chris Sununu from New Hampshire speaking with us here on Bloomberg today. Rick Davis, how big of a deal is his decision not to run for Senate for Republicans? Could it mean the balance of power in the Senate? Sure, absolutely. It's a 50-50 Senate. So one senator means the balance of power mm -hmm. and, uh, and Republicans don't have that many to choose from. I mean, there's there's, you know, Maggie Hassan, who's a very vulnerable uh, Democrat uh, up for re-election. I think her favorability ratings are in the low 40s. All right. That's like a great yeah. target. Yes. You know, you've got um, Mark Kelly from Arizona, you know, who's that's a, a, a blue state guy running in a red state. And then uh, Raphael Warnock. So those are three opportunities wow. to win. And 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 and. Chris Sununu was the very best shot we had at beating all those. I don't think it feels too bad after what we just discussed. Rick and Jeannie with us in studio. We're going to dig into this issue with Russia today as President Biden prepares to meet with Vladimir Putin tomorrow. And we'll be remembering Bob Dole straight ahead on Sound On. This is Bloomberg. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The headline on the terminal, Biden to warn Putin against Ukraine attack. Offer carrot to talk. Sometimes the headlines are fun to read on the air. Uh, you can read this as well. It's not a funny story as President Biden prepares for yet another I won't say tele-town hall, but I guess video conference is what we're talking about here. And I'm joined 
in our New York studios here at the Mothership by, of course, the signature panel. Rick and Jeannie are with us for the hour. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Uh, I'd like to spend a couple of minutes uh, with you guys on this because this is a pretty big deal. Uh, the meeting by video with President Xi recently got an enormous amount of coverage, and it seems like this should get at least that much as we know tens of thousands of Russian troops have amassed along the border of Ukraine. And we understand, based on our reporting and what we're hearing from the White House, Jeannie, that President Biden will be direct with Vladimir Putin tomorrow to tell him where the line is, to tell him what the response might be. How specific does Joe Biden have to be in this meeting? And some people are portraying this, to your point, as the most important call he's had with a foreign leader to date in his administration in terms of what is at stake here, which is the future of Ukraine on the border of Europe. And yeah. um, so, you know, I think it's curious what he can possibly do to change Putin's mind. You know, it, it's probably limited. So he's Joe Biden is known to be direct, and I suspect he will. But the reality is there's not a lot that they can offer Putin if he has his mind made up on interfering, on stepping into the Ukraine. And there's not a lot they can offer him to stop. And in terms of what they can do to threaten, you know, with a stick approach, there's not a lot at their disposal either. Certainly, we've heard some ideas that they may throw around there in terms of sanctions and other things. Mm -hmm. But does anybody really suspect that Putin, if he's determined, and we don't know that yet, the administration says he hasn't decided yet, but if he's determined to enter into Ukraine, would that actually stop him? Probably not. Yeah. Well, as I read our, our story on this, Rick, the U.S. official speaking with Bloomberg said the Biden administration does not want to be in a position where it has to use American forces. So what can you actually threaten? Well, I think you got to hit him where it hurts. And, and, and things like the Nord Stream 2 uh, pipeline, where he will feed the insatiable demand for energy to Europe, uh, is a great starting point. Republicans uh, oppose that, put sanctions on it, put sanctions on any company doing business with it. And Joe Biden lifted all that. I mean, it was a, it, he handed a carrot to Vladimir Putin on his first day in office. Uh, now's the time to whip the stick out. Uh, I, would, I would put the sanctions back in the NDAA that's ready to pass. It would actually make a lot of Republicans happy to want to vote for that and get it done. Uh, but I would also go after his financial network. I mean, we know from public reports that he's stashed cash all over the world. Well, go after that. We, we're supposed to be able to track down drug dealers and That's terrorists right. all over the world. We can't track down Vladimir Putin's largesse. I mean, let's, let's turn the spigot off. And I think those are the things that really matter. I say, thirdly, uh, kick him out of every international organization that we've invited him in, thinking he would be a productive citizen of the world mm -hmm. when he's not. Mm -hmm. and, if, and if he is actually serious about invading a sovereign country, then all those things that we allowed him to participate in in the past, he should be sanctioned from. And, and that would hurt him at home because he has a tenuous grip on the population as it is. Sure. And if he doesn't look like a player on the world stage, that undermines him. So let's say Joe Biden rolls all that out. Let's say he takes the, the Rick Davis doctrine, and that's how that call goes tomorrow, Jeannie. Vladimir Putin uh, may or may not believe that, right? He takes a look over at Crimea. Well, that's still sitting where I left it. Why should I believe what you say? 
Well, that's right. And, you know, another problem that Joe Biden is facing is our allies. Um, you have many European countries concerned if Russia takes step in terms of the gas and oil. You also have Germany, you know, with new leadership. You have mm -hmm. France confronting an election. So he's got to keep our allies together. We understand he's been working the phones and will continue to do that. But there's got to be a united front on these things. And all these steps that Rick is talking about are critically important. But the United United States cannot be acting on any of these unilaterally. So that's going to be a critical thing to watch. Do our allies stay with us as President Biden tries to confront Putin? And to your point, does Putin take the threats seriously or say it's a lot of talk with not a lot of follow up because Joe Biden's got his own issues at home that yeah. he's confronting, COVID and inflation being the top of the list? So then does it come down to, and I know this is a video call, Rick, body language? Uh, the language that Joe Biden chooses to use. How do you get the point across that we're serious? You know, I think it's 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 Biden's job to lay down the law, right, and to and to make sure that it's totally clear to yeah. Vladimir Putin what the costs of this adventurism are, right? Because then, if he makes a conscious decision to do something, then he knows that that these are the things that are going to happen to his regime defensively, to his financial empire, to his, you know, uh, uh, oil empire. Uh, John McCain used to love to call Russia as a uh, gas station masquerading as a country. <laughs> right. and, and so, like, we need to return his status to a gas station attendant. Yeah. And, and I think that's what's got to be totally clear when they get it. He can do it in a very dispassionate way. He can do it with a little empathy. You know, I feel for you. The Russian Empire hasn't been what it used to be, and <laughs> right. I'm not going to let it go back. I sure <laughs> love all of that. We're going to talk about this a lot more tomorrow. I didn't want to do the whole program on it, but it's a big enough deal that we had to kind of get your, uh, your insights first. I want to ask you both, and by the way, this will happen tomorrow evening, we understand. We'll go through all of this, this time tomorrow on Sound On, as that call will, I believe, have yet to happen. And we are reporting as well that Joe Biden will be meeting uh, virtually, of course, with our European allies in a special session before that, just to kind of lay the groundwork and say that we're all on the same page. But one of the biggest stories that we didn't get a chance to talk about because it happened over the weekend was the passing of Bob Dole. Uh, big deal in Washington. We had Tom Daschle on Balance of Power a little bit earlier uh, and boy, to hear a Democrat talking so fondly in memory about a Republican and someone he fought with a lot uh, spoke so much to me. Uh, you know, everyone likes to reach to Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan. Apparently they were drinking so much beer. I don't know how they got anything done. But for me, I think back to Tom Daschle and Bob Dole uh, as, as just a more functional, I don't know, maybe a more rational Washington. It seemed to work a little bit better. And I, I know that not everyone at the time thought that. Uh, but Rick, this must've hit you. I know you worked with Bob Dole for years and he represented a piece of Washington that I think you could say is gone. Yeah. He was the gentleman deal maker, extraordinary strategist and, and, and somebody who just never gave up. And of course with his life story, it just exudes, you know, getting back from, from a difficult place. And I was on his campaign for president and, uh, uh, we weren't going to win. We knew we weren't going to win. He, he knew we weren't going to win. He was helping other candidates in states that were not targeted presidential states. Mm -hmm. And uh, then he came up with about a month, you know, not even a month, a couple of weeks before the election. He's like, OK, we're going out with a flash. 
I want to do a 96-hour tour nonstop. Nobody sleeps for the last 96 hours of this campaign. And, of course, you know, it was like just open the vein and let it end. Uh, and, and he did just such an extraordinary job. There were bowling alley events in Las Vegas at 3 o'clock in the morning. I mean, that plane was like it was never going to land. And he came out of that just like we're going to win this thing. It's so empowering. Everybody has been having a great time. And he took a campaign that was a bit of a, a challenge and turned it into something that everybody was really proud of. That's pretty special. And are you implying that he loved the art of, of retail campaigning or he just loved lifting you guys up and lifting up his own campaign at that moment? You know, I, I think all of the above. I mean, there's a lot of reporting about how he was never able to be president. But yeah. Bob Dole was a Republican at heart, right? He'd been the Republican national chairman. He'd been the vice presidential nominee. And I was with him when he received the nomination uh, at the convention. And I think that was the high point of his career, hmm. that he had been nominated for president of the United States by his party. The standard bearer. And it was almost more important to be the standard bearer of the Republican Party than president of the United States. How about that? Because the Republicans are who he really cared deeply yeah. about and did so much to build the party and to lift it up. Jeannie, as we think back and, and look at what we have now in Washington, I know Capitol Hills are an easy target. Lawmakers are an easy target. But is there a Bob Dole? Is there someone with that level of force uh, and elegance, I guess you could say, as, as a lawmaker? I think that was the word that Tom Daschle used with us earlier, was that, that he was an elegant gentleman. Even though they didn't agree, they didn't even always like each other all that much, he couldn't, he couldn't avoid saying that. You know, I think there are many lawmakers. I mean, I'm not one of those people who sits around and, and likes to cut on politics and politicians. Yeah. That's why I'm a political scientist. You know, <laughs> it's 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 an it's important work. I think the difficulty today is that the people we hear most about are the loudest voices in the room that are qu quite unlike those lawmakers that, that Tom Daschle was talking about in, in this vein. Let's not forget, Bob Dole was tough. I mean, they described him, and I think Rick knows this, as the hatchet man. I mean, he was That's a right. tough lawmaker. He was, you know, somebody who stood up for what his party believed in, what he wanted to see. He did work across the aisle. He's somebody whose reputation grew after he left office. He's somebody who I think was part of a tremendous power couple with Elizabeth Dole, who I know Rick worked with. Yep. Um, so, so much to be said about it. And I do think there are people like that in Washington today. We don't hear enough about them or celebrate them enough. So I think we can all do a better job trying to acknowledge those people versus the loudmouths who are more extremist. Ha, the public servants like Rick and Jeannie. Thanks, guys. Great to see you both in person. This has been a real treat for me. And I want to thank you for spending some time with us on the fastest hour in politics. We'll check traffic ahead. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.